My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you money. It's my job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you how this business works. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What makes stocks move? What separates the bad days from the good days like this one with the Dow gain 116 points, S&P jump 0.81%, the NASDAQ pull vaulted 1.53%. Now, a lot of people assume that any given day is a random walk where the odds are about 50-50 either way. This is a mistake that a lot of newcomers make. It's almost as if they see the market as a big casino, and they've settled at the roulette table where they're betting on red or black. So when they see a stock coming into the session with a full head of steam from pre-market trading, they want to put their chips on it. Black going higher, red going lower. But if you're going to trade, I'm begging you to be more disciplined than that. If you bet on black when the pre-market action looks good and you bet on red when it looks bad, well, you'll ultimately get your head handed to you every time you get an intraday reversal. Something, by the way, that happens a lot, including this morning's opening. I approach day trading the same way I approach sports betting. I can't gamble, but I sure know what the heck I'm doing. Each session is a game, a battle between the bulls and the bears where you have to pick a side. My method. I immediately try to figure out who's the favorite and who's the underdog, just like in sports betting, because you always want the wind at your back when you're trading. And unlike gambling, the line isn't readily available or accessible, so I have to create it in my mind. I'm going to show you how I do it. Today, you can tell from the start that the Bulls were the favorites because of the strength of the futures. And eh, that makes it too easy. If this were a football game, though, you'd have to spot the Bears, try to figure out what. How about six or seven points to attract some short money from the other side? The Bulls just had so much going for them from the get-go. First and foremost, the Senate grilled Janet Yellen, the next Treasury Secretary. And to stick with the football analogy, she's Tom Brady. Although I may be the first person to draw that parallel. What else can I say? I had no worries about Yellen in front of the Senate. She was so sure-handed. Over and over again, she made the case for full employment agenda to help people who don't have jobs and need to put food on the table. That means Yellen wants to spend a lot of money. Now, normally that kind of thing would have left her open to a Republican blitz. But she released her answer so quickly that there wasn't a single sack or even a hurry. With Jerome Powell at the Federal Reserve, is he Aaron Rodgers now that Drew Breach can't can't throw deep and maybe retiring? Yeah, he's Rodgers. Um, And and yelling at Treasury, we could be looking at years of low interest rates and generous government spending, which is fabulous for the stock market. I think a lot of investors spend too much time focusing on Washington, but policy does matter. When Yellen says we need to act big, she's talking about acting big to create more jobs. And that's what the $1.9 trillion stimulus package is all about. I know some skeptics think that Democrats just want to give handouts to people who don't want to work. But this is America. People want to work. States want to pay. If Congress doubles the minimum wage like Biden's proposing, I, I bet people want to work even more. The truth is we've got 7% unemployment in this economy, and that needs a shot in the arm. That's too high. So when I hear uh, Yellen talking about big... It makes me feel like the Bulls have a home field advantage with Yellen at the helm, just like the Bucks had an advantage with Tom Brady. Bulls are by three or non-gambling speak. The Bulls are so powerful that you have to spot them at least three points to make it even. Now let's take the line even further. When the economy gets a shot in the arm, people with money are more likely to start new businesses or invest in the stock market. One's good for the economy. One's just okay. We know there's lots of index money. 50% of stocks are owned by funds that track indices. Uh, so if you're an index fund investor, you're taking the line up for the bulls. 
That's not so much the case for people buying individual stocks, although when it's done on mass, like BlackBerry or Palantir or GameStop, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, AMC, it gives the bulls a boost. And whether it's young people jumping on a little dollar stock like AMC or older people buying an industrial like Honeywell, these individual buying patterns are strong. So you got to spot the Bears another two points. Next, if you want to know where games are really won, it's the offensive line. You need that impenetrable wall to push forward. But for the last few weeks, we've watched the successive front lines. We get blitzed after a couple of up days. Today, though, we had the best front, for, front uh, line you could ask for. It's more than four. We had Facebook. We had Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Alphabet. Fang. You could always take out one of those and substitute Microsoft, which also roared higher. But please do not take out Netflix, which had a remarkable quarter this very evening. These big tech plays are all viewed as lockdown stocks. They're the ones you bet on when it looks like Uncle Sam will keep botching the vaccine rollout. Now, I think that's too, uh, let's say, severe. We don't know what Biden's got planning, planned. Not the vaccine stuff. I mean, we have really botched the roll. But the way we view FANG is really incorrect. They're portrayed as stocks you buy when the economy locks down and sell when the economy reopens. Well, they do just fine during lockdown. They also do just fine when we reopen. And that's what people seem to realize today. Think about it. Reopening means travel comes back, which happens to be Alphabet's biggest advertisers, and they'll start spending again. You can make a similar case for Facebook and for Amazon. Meanwhile, Netflix is skyrocketing after hours trading because reporters and spectacular subscriber numbers. They added 8.5 million paid subs when Wall Street was looking for 6 million. That's incredible, and it means it's here to stay. As for Apple, I listen to Yellen, and she's not a cold warrior like Trump's team. She wants China to behave, but she's not trying to roll back globalization, not at all. And that is great news for Apple, which is much loved in China, but didn't trade as high as it should have because Trump inspired political risk. I want you to put it all together, and then you need to see that you've got to, you got to spot the bears another couple points. This is how something becomes a favorite. Finally, you have the remarkable run, the semiconductor, especially the 5G place. Now, last week, I recommended a bunch of 5G stocks, and many of them just exploded higher today. In Seagull, which I told you to buy up 23%, fastly up 8% on the list. I said Skyworks and Marvell both work, up 6%. Taiwan Semi, 5 Qualcomm, 4 Honestly, it's a hard move to explain. Big Spectrum auction this week. Internet of Things, Apple Business, shortages worldwide. Aha, that's my bet. What matters is that it's coloring every screen green, shortage after shortage after shortage. Of course, the bears are not without weapons of their own. We got good numbers from Bank of America, great ones from Goldman Sachs, but because both stocks came in very hot, Wall Street yawned. They actually got hit. Even accounting for that, though, the bears were massively outgunned today. So for today's game, you had to spot the bears seven points to make things even, meaning the bulls had a big edge and the bears needed some intraday help to turn the green tape red, and they didn't get it. They needed something disruptive from President Trump. He's been good at that. Uh, No Twitter access. He's been pretty quiet. Maybe a misstep from Janet Yellen might have done that, but she didn't make any more than Brady did. Maybe a disappointment for the banks, which ended up delivering excellent numbers, but people yawned. Now, the great thing about the stock market is that unlike betting on football, there is no point spread. There's not even a VIG. You know, now that there's no commission trading, you, you don't have to spot the bear seven. You just sop it all up. It's a level playing field. So if you're going to bet against the favorite, you need a game changer to move the mental line, or I should say the money line. Today, though, I saw nothing that made me think the line was wrong, which is why stocks stayed so strong. 
But the bottom line, if you're new to trading, not investing, but trading, because this is very rarely that I'm discussing trading, you don't want to go home long. Every day is a new game, so don't just roll over your bets. That's my advice to you traders. With Biden's inauguration tomorrow, we have no idea how that session will go. Maybe the bears will be in charge. But if you do the work to figure out who's the favorite and by how much, you'll be in a much better position than the gambler who buys hot stocks, betting they'll stay hot for the duration and never sells a share. Let's go to Colin in Michigan. Colin. A big Grand Rapids booyah to you, Jimmy Chill. Well, there you go. Grand Rapids, furniture capital of the world. What's happening? Not much. Jim, I bought this stock last spring after you recommended it as a play on the stay-at-home economy, and it's been growing like a weed ever since. No pun intended. With spring around the corner, Jim, how do you feel about Scott's miracle Grow? I, was in, I looked at my beds this weekend in my garden. And it's just so priceless what's going to happen in a couple of months. It's a, after COVID, it's something you can count on. And you can count on Scott's miracle Grow too. That's what you use. Even my flats, a lot of those plants are from Scott's miracle Grow, a division. Let's go to Marvin in Florida. Marvin. Jim, I'm sending you an Altacocker Booyah. Holy cow, man. Good, good to have a Yiddish Booyah now and then. What's going on? Well, I'm interested in what you think about Wix, W-I-X. It's a, one of the largest companies in Israel based in Tel Aviv. They have a subscription-based website right. development company, website hosting, and a payment platform. They've had a good run from uh, Jan- January of 1920 up until the last few months. And it's down about 38 points. In well, the you know, look, Marvin, I mean, as a Wix customer, and I think they do a really good job. I mean, look, I'm a typical Wix customer. They they helped me build my menu, our menu for our for the Longshoreman restaurant. And then we had to mothball the restaurant because like so many others who have Wix sites. Well, you know, the pandemic has shut us down. So that's why I think Wix is stalled for that. But I like the company very much. And boy. If we ever get back to work, we're going right back to Wix. If you're going to trade, discipline matters. I want you to do, do the work to figure out what's working and what's not. Analyze who's the favorite and who's the underdog. Man, money tonight. Time to talk about don't you yawn on me. I know where you live. The bond market. I'm going off the charts to find out where it's signaling, what it's signaling for the actual, you know, let's just not just say for the bond market or the dollar, but for your stocks. Man, a few months ago, I gave you my go list. That's a group of 11 stocks you had to run a go pattern for the moment we got a vaccine. Tonight, I'm revisiting the group and telling you what's working and what's not. And wow, we shot the lights out with this one. And does Logitech remain a logical COVID winner? I'm going to sit down with the CEO after earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I know it's painful, but we need to talk about the bond market. I know bonds are boring, but at the end of the day, the stock market takes its cue from the much larger bond market. Now, over the last six months, long-term treasuries, we're talking the 10-year note and 30-year bond, have plummeted in price, which has sent their yield soaring. Remember, when a bond price goes down, the yield goes up, and the yield is the main interest rate we talk about here all day. A week ago, 
It looked like long-term treasuries were in free fall. Then the Treasury Department held a successful 10-year note auction with very healthy demand, and bonds rebounded. Suddenly, Treasury yields were going lower again. We saw a microcosm of that action today. This is the bedrock of all investing people. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. She's a brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading and the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading. We want to get a better sense of where bonds might be headed because they're so crucial to the stock market. As she sees it, this is likely the bottom in long-term treasury purchases. That's right, the bottom and the peak in yields, at least for a while. This is a shockingly contrary viewpoint to what almost everybody I know thinks. Now, some of this because of the macro backdrop. Long-term rates rise when the economy is getting stronger. They fall when the economy is weakening. And we've got some ugly data over the last few weeks. It's ugly meaning slower. But Garner sees something else at work beyond the Treasury auction or the macro. She thinks the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury is converging with the dividend yield on the S&P 500. Near last week's lows, the 10-year was paying interest of about 1.2%, while the S&P yields roughly 1.5% right now. Now, you could argue that this is comparing apples and oranges. Stocks have upside potential, bonds don't. On the other hand, though, stocks also have much more downside risk, especially since Treasuries are getting active support from the Federal Reserve, and foreign investors know our government bonds are the only way to get an okay yield, remember their yields are even lower than ours, without any meaningful default risk, and they've got that. Have you seen what's going on in Italy? Jeez. I'm always telling you that stocks are the only game in town right now. That 1% yield from the tenure is too puny when you can find high-quality companies paying 3 or 4% with their dividends. And remember, high-quality meaning that I'm not worried about them being paid. But to wealthy investors overseas, U.S. treasuries are fairly attractive at these levels. This weekend, Bloomberg published a piece about how there's significant Japanese interest in treasuries anytime the yield on the, on the tenure reaches one3 Last week, they peaked at around one2 Garner thinks that's the level where foreign investors take notice and start pouring money into treasuries. Now, these people are already rich. They don't care about upside. They're only looking for capital preservation. And at a time when the rest of the world's interest rates are even lower, a 1.1 or 1.2% yield looks pretty darn good to them. All right, how about some charts? I want you to first take a look at the daily action in the 10-year note futures versus the U.S. dollar index. Garner points out that the greenback in the 10-year traded in the same direction about 60 to 70% of the time last year. In other words, a weak dollar pushes bonds lower, causing higher rates. A strong dollar pushes bonds higher, causing lower rates. So if the dollar starts bouncing, Treasury yields will likely fall. And Garner's confident that the dollar has bottomed. Check out the monthly chart. All right, this is really important. After getting beaten to a pulp, okay, this is, remember, this is the dollar index. After getting beaten to a pulp last year, you can see it goes down, uh, the greenback seems to be stabilizing after breaching its floor of support last month. There's the breach, okay? Meanwhile, the relative strength index is the most oversold in decades. The last thing we want right now is a stronger dollar. It makes American exports more expensive. But Garner thinks that might be in the cards because the weak dollar trade has gotten too crowded. That means when it's crowded trade, that means there are too many people in it. When you look at the data from the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, speculators are holding their largest short dollar position since 2007. That's crazy. Crowded trades rarely work. When everybody's betting against the dollar, that means there's nobody left to sell. We know a stronger greenback translates to higher treasury prices, but there's something else going on here. Now I want you to take a look at the seasonal pattern in the 10-year note. Garner points out that historically the 10-year, treasure, the 10-year tends to rally in the first quarter. Again, that means, remember, 
right, bonds go up, rates go down. How about the monthly chart of the 10-year Treasury futures? Garner thinks 2021 is looking a lot like 2020. I'm giving you all these because, again, this is such a contrary view that I've got to back it up with a lot of charts. Going into last year, Wall Street believed the Treasuries were headed lower as, as rising interest rates were taken as a given. For a few weeks, it looked like the conventional wisdom would be right. And then bingo. Yes, COVID. COVID turned the world upside down. And bond prices skyrocketed as their yields plummeted to record lows. This year, Garner thinks Wall Street is once again too bearish on bonds. If last week's low holds, she's betting we'll see a consolidation pattern that will act as a stepping stone to the next leg higher. She views the pullback in bond prices over the last six months as a temporary pullback, kind of a cooling off period after Treasury futures had gotten incredibly overbought. Just look at the relative strength index. It's no longer an overbought territory, but it sure was before. Meanwhile, do you see the red line and the green line here? Okay, see these two? These are what are called Bollinger Bands. They're a visual representation of volatility. As the security gets more volatile, the bands expand. As it gets less volatile, they shrink. Okay, what does this mean? The way this works, the price action should stay within the bands roughly 90% of the time. Even when something goes above or below the band, it tends to retreat, allowing the bands to adjust to the new period of heightened volatility. Carter brings this up. I know it's confusing, but she brings it up right now because the Bulger bands have expanded, okay, creating a wider trading range between 126 and 144. The upper band is right below the trend line ceiling of resistance at 145. So Garner expects the bulls to target that level. If she's right, there could be a speed bump of resistance near 142, followed by a quick, albeit temporary, probe to 145. If that sounds like no big deal, let me flip it around. If the 10-year Treasury futures rally at 142, it would imply a 0.5% yield. In other words, we're talking about all-time lows. If the 10-year futures climb to 145, that implies a 10-year yield close to zero. I got to tell you, the 10-year yielding next to nothing that would terrify Wall Street. We got to stay focused about this. That's got to add it. Use as a got to use that as a risk factor. Now, almost nobody wants long-term interest rates to get this slow, but as central banks around the world keep injecting cash into the system to combat the COVID slowdown, Garner sees more money coming in the U.S. Treasuries from overseas because yields in the rest of the world are even lower than ours, and we're very, uh, let's just say, we're not as we're. Can I say it that we're more stable than these other countries? I guess you can still say it. Here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, suggest that long-term treasury yields are done going higher. In fact, she thinks it may be on the verge of a collapse. If she's right, this will be a great time for the slowdown stocks and the secular growth stories that don't need a strong economy to work. Stocks like Fang. Hmm. Maybe that's the reason why they're going higher. Stick with Kramer. A little more than five months ago, I gave you my go list. That's a group of 11 stocks that you had to buy the moment we got a viable vaccine. Now that people are finally getting vaccinated and a return to normalcy is indeed within sight, if not in reach, it's time to catch up with this basket and see what's working and what's not working, especially because many of you referred to this basket on Twitter, uh, some to Jimmy Chill and some to actually me. The 11 stocks on the go list are DuPont 3M. Disney, MasterCard, Union Pacific, Nike, Ralph Lauren, PVH, PPG, Emerson Electric, and Nucor. These I worked hard on to try to figure out what would do best in an opening scenario. 
They're all stocks that I figured would do much better once we got closer to a full reopening of the economy. And on average, the go list has trounced the major averages. Proudly, our basket's up 36% since I picked these stocks in early August versus a 14% gain for the Dow and, and the S&P and a 20% gain for the NASDAQ, even though the NASDAQ was red hot. This index beat them. However, when you zoom in on the individual names, some have worked a lot better than others, but that's pretty typical. I mean, MasterCard's down slightly. Wow, that's amazing. It's been such a good stock over years. PVH is up more than 90%. On the whole, though, there were more winners than losers. I mean, you got Ralph Ford, that's up close to 60%. DuPont up more than 50%. Nike gaining 38%. Disney climbing 35 Now, I told you to buy these stocks when we started turning the corner on the pandemic. So it should be no surprise that the bulk of their gains came in the last couple of months since we heard the good news about the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines in November. I think the ones that are working have more upside as Americans get vaccinated and a new president gets sworn in with, I think, a more serious federal covid plan. I know a lot of people are betting on this, so it makes me a little hesitant. Remember, we do need J&J. But not all of these ideas are working, so let's take them one by one. I'm going to start with the laggards because I think it's important to have accountability. You can't just talk about the winners, can you? The worst performers on the list by far, MasterCard down less than 1%, and 3M up less than 9%. My thesis was that this whole group would soar once we started getting vaccinated. At least for these two, that thesis was wrong. Now, 3M has been a roller coaster with the stock soaring in late November for losing momentum and then rolling back all its gains in recent weeks. The problem Ah, 3M has some serious legacy issues. I included this one list because I thought management would be able to get past them. The company has some potentially huge environmental liabilities, which is not great when the Democrats control both houses of Congress. Then again, 3M reports next Tuesday, and they did pretty darn well last time. I think the good numbers will continue. It really is the environmental issues that's keeping this down. As for MasterCard, the whole credit card space has been hammered in recent weeks. They've been losing share to online payment plays like PayPal and Square over the course of the pandemic. I thought that might reverse once we got a vaccine, but instead the banks caught fire. And nobody cares about the credit card plays when the banks are working. Between the banks coming back to life and all these fast-growing new financial technology IPOs, there's less of a constituency for owning a stock like MasterCard. I misjudged that. I think MasterCard's a great company, but Wall Street's just not interested at the moment. And that's painful, given how much the average has moved up. So now I'm thinking maybe cross-border travel comes back, it will take off. But that may be making excuses for a situation that structurally people don't want anymore. Maybe I just refuse to give up. How about the nine winners? Let's start with the weakest of the bunch. Union Pacific, Newcourt, and Emerson Electric. All but dropped 20 to 30 percent. Better than the Dow and the S&P, but worse than the bulk of the go list. So, I mean, but relatively to the rest of the go list. But, wow, these are very exciting. Like the rest of the rails, Union Pacific's been on fire for the last couple months. These guys report on Thursday morning, by the way. Railroad stocks tend to rally no matter what. That's because they do this precision rail railroading. It makes it so they're much more efficient than they used to be. Newcore, the best of the American steelmakers, got a huge boost in February after the vaccine did. And then another boost early this month after the Democrats swept the Georgia Senate runoffs. Wall Street's betting will get a big infrastructure package. And you can't build infrastructure without steel. Nucor is still a cheap stock, 2.9% yield. I got to tell you, I like this, especially for those looking for a cyclical that still has room to run. As for Emerson Electric, classic smokestack stock, they reported a great quarter early in November. Even before the vaccine, they were doing terrifically because they've got a ton of exposure to China, and we know China's doing very well. The stock's run from 65 in late October to 83 today, a new all-time high, and I think it's got more room to run. There's going to be a retiring CEO and a new one coming in who may break the company up. We don't know, but there's a lot of excitement here. Next up, we've got the middle of the pack, the goal list stocks that are up 30 to 40%. 
PPG, yeah, the paints, coatings, Disney, and Nike. PPG's paints and coatings are on fire. They've got a ton of exposure to the red-hot auto industry at the high end, particularly. They're also a big part of the home builders. Two terrific bull markets. While the stock's been on a tear, I think it's worth sticking with this one. It's really well run. Disney's a weird one. You'd think this would be a textbook pandemic play. Not a great time for the movie theater or the theme park business. Uh, but because Disney's launched a popular streaming service a little over a year ago, the stock quickly recovered from the March lows. Then we got Pfizer vaccine data. This thing caught fire is now trading like a reopening play. While Disney seems expensive on earnings, I like it up here. I know a lot of people want me to like AMC, which is a little stock um, that is that can run here. I don't know. It's the same group that likes, wants me to recommend BlackBerry, uh, GME. I will what else do they like? Uh, whatever. All right. Um, oh, Palantir. I don't want to do anything more than say that's what they're thinking about. But I know that's what they're thinking about. Now let's talk about the kind of stock they should be thinking about. Nike. Even before we saw the light at the end of the tunnel, Nike was already making new all-time highs. As China bounced back and athleisure became the style of choice for people working from home. While the stock is expensive, Nike keeps shooting the lights out with spectacular digital growth. Yes, that is like Lulu. I know that. Like Williams-Sonoma. These are all kind of well-run companies that have figured it out. Now, thanks to the pandemic, they've been able to cut out the middleman at Nike and sell their product direct to the consumer. We're not going back. Once again, I'd stick with Nike. It is the best direct-to-consumer story out there. Finally, we've had three home runs, including one that just kind of happened. DuPont up 54%, Ralph Lauren up 57%, and PVH up 90%. Manny Trico retiring. We own DuPont along with Nike and MasterCard for the Chapel Trust. You can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. A lot of people have come in, and no, I don't think we're the reason why these stocks are running, but in some cases, it, there's a group think, and that's okay because the group is right. The commodity chemical place had had a terrific run, although in the last week it's been hit with a wave of profit taking. I can't blame anyone for reading the register. We did some trimming last week for the Chapel Trust. I think the good news is mostly baked in here, although if DuPont sells off another 5 to 10 bucks, I'd be a buyer again. Five downgrades, and now it's starting to move right up. Incredible. Next up, the whole apparel industry got a new lease on life when we learned about the Pfizer vaccine two months ago. And that includes Ralph Lauren. RL was already doing okay, but nobody cared until we knew the vaccine was right around the corner. I love management here. Stocks currently trading at 14 times next year's earnings estimates. They've made a lot of good moves. Direct to consumer, more upside. Last but not least, PVH is a similar story. The parent of Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger struggled to get much traction. Uh, But then we found out about the vaccine, and it soared 20%. In a single session, PVH hasn't looked back since. The stock got an extra boost when they reported a much better than expected quarter in early December. Even before anyone was vaccinated, the business is already coming back with its digital direct-to-consumer business up 70% year-over-year. With department stores fully reopening in the not-too-distant future, I think PVH has more room to run. By the way, I think they'll do a lot maybe with, uh, with Kohl's, which is doing much better, by the way, since they got the support deal. Now, this one stock trades at just 12 times earnings. That's ridiculously cheap, even for an apparel stock. Here's the bottom line. Other than Ma, which is MasterCard, and 3M, our go-to stocks have been fabulous performers since we found out about the vaccine in November. Some of them have gotten a little rich. I admit that. Disney, Nike, especially DuPont. But the rest of the list is still actually worth buying. Union Pacific before the quarter, maybe even after. Emerson ahead of a breakup. Newcore with that yield. PPG with the coatings. Ralph Lauren getting out of some bad stores. All good. And then, of course, PVH. With the way our government's been bungling the vaccine rollout, you better believe this list will get another leg higher once the pandemic is finally under control. Let's go to Joe. Joseph in Connecticut. Joseph. Good evening, Mr. Kramer, sir, and thank you for taking my call. My wife and I love your show. Watch it every night. Oh, you are very kind. Thank you. Worked hard this weekend to try to get the show right. 
keep going in different directions in order to make it so it's interesting to many people. How can I help? I bought both Chipotle and McDonald's several weeks ago, as they seem to be good businesses to invest in during the pandemic, but they seem to be moving in different directions. Chipotle is holding strong, and McDonald's went up but now seems to be struggling. My question is, if these two stocks are in the same sector of fast food, why are they not moving in tandem? And where do you think each is headed? You know, this is a great question. I'm really glad you asked it. It was going to be the subject at the top of my show. But I switched when I saw so many different stocks roaring today. The answer is that Chipotle has gone all in with technology and loyalty programs and digitization. McDonald's is a bit of a dinosaur versus that as much as I like McDonald's. Uh, the price point in Chipotle is a little bit higher, but the units make a lot more money, and they've done very well with the Chipotle's. So keep in mind, McDonald's, while being a great company, is not technologically as savvy as Chipotle, only Domino's rivals Chipotle in that category. I want to go to Tom in Minnesota. Tom. Hi, Jim. Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on Pfizer. They've refocused with the vaccine and several new products in the works. they got great sales, low-priced earnings. Can't figure out why their stock isn't moving. Okay, well, look, this is a great concern. I have felt that, uh, remember, they're not they're not in warp speed. Okay, they're being uh, they're being footballed by many different states locally. But here's the real issue. Innovation. They classically don't have it. Look at Lilly. Look at Bristol Myers. Those are the ones we're focusing on. Right. These go to stocks that I am looking at. They have been crushing it since we found out about the vaccine because these are the ones that do best when the economy's open. Of all the S&P names I could find, I think they're not done. Now, there's much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Logitech. As the home trend continues, could Logitech remain a lockdown winner? Or could the COVID vaccine have an impact on the stock? I'm going to talk to the CEO after earnings. Then, there were three big takeaways for investors from the bank earnings calls. And you know what? I'm going to reveal them to you. And, of course, all of your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. As earnings season goes into full swing, we're seeing an ugly pattern. Companies report strong numbers, and then their stocks either do nothing or even go down. At first, it was just the banks, but now it's spreading to some parts of tech. Take Kramer Fave Logitech International, the maker of all sorts of computer accessories, uh, consumer electronics, and gaming equipment. Logitech's been a huge winner for us over the past 10 months as millions of people built home offices and fancy video game setups. But look what happened today. Last night, Logitech reported a great quarter, just a breathtaking beat, with sales up 85%. The company's earning $2.45 per share. Wall Street was only looking for $1.14. They more than doubled the consensus. On top of that, management raised their full-year forecast. Yet instead of rallying, the stock actually tumbled 3 bucks. Why? A lot of investors are assuming this will be the last great quarter, or maybe the second to last. They think Logitech's booming business will cool down once everybody's vaccinated and the world goes back to normal. I'm betting that's a mistake, but I don't want you to take it from me. Let's check it with Bracken Darrell, the president and CEO of Logitech International, to get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Darrell, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. It's great to be here. Okay, so Bracken, you start this call, which was an amazing call, by talking about the way work's going to be. And if work is going to be a hybrid, then this is no fad. This is not pegged necessarily to vaccines. This is a new world for Logitech. 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're super excited about the role we're playing now in the world, and we think as it goes forward, we're going to be right in the center of the way people work in the future. So, uh, you know, the hybrid work models, we called it, where people are working a few days in the office, a few days at home, means multiple workspaces, means video in both places, it means video in conference rooms, and that's a big chunk of our business. Now, you talked about uh, something that I think, again, is secular and not part of a vaccination. The democratization of digital content and the role Logitech plays. Yeah, you know, as as much as I love CNBC, Jim, and Disney and all the other major companies that bring content to us, more and more people are watching more content from each other. So content creation and content creators are really where the future is for a lot of people. And and we basically enable those people with microphones, with webcams, with Streamlabs, which is a service we provide. So the growth of digital content creation or the creator class is is huge. And we're right in the middle of the action in many of our categories. I think there are a lot of people who are stuck thinking, well, Logitech, uh, that's just a knockoff. But, for instance, I have a pair of very good uh, earbuds that frankly are they fit my ear and I have a left ear problem where my they always fall out. I've molded them to my ear and they're not going to go anywhere. And what are you doing that makes this so it works? Well, this is a super cool technology. It's marketed under UE. So it's not Logitech brand. It's UE fits, ultimate ear fits. As you know, we, we send you, you order it online. You get a box in the mail. You open the box. You download an app. You put the two earphones in your ear, they're true wireless. You hit a button on your phone. You just hit the button on your phone, and they instantly mold your ears. They become a completely customized product. They only fit your ears. Each of your ears is different. It's like a fingerprint. This is the most customized consumer product you can buy. Well, look, I've got to tell you, it's the kind of thing, for those of us who have a, a different ear sizes and you want to exercise, which I like to do, this is the type of thing I did at one point I would not, frankly, I would not have expected this kind of ahead of the game. You've always proven to yourself to have everything equal at much lower price. This is a surpassing, which, again, I am portraying Logitech as an innovator. And we're not even going to talk yet about carbon carbon labeling. We're going to do that later Um, as an innovator that is trying to traverse a world where people are sampling it because of covid. And it turns out to be superior to what they were using. Well, this has been, you know, we've, we've quietly, you know, we, we, uh, we've been around for 40 years and almost 40 years, and we've always been engineering driven. In the last, you know, since I joined the company eight years ago, we started adding design to that and putting the user at the middle. So I think we're bringing some of the real innovative technology we, we had and that we were capable of bringing to a very relevant way to users now, like you, who, you know, had problems keeping right. an earphone in one ear or, or didn't feel like the, the camera they were using, you know, was, was good enough for them. We're really, we're really stepping it up here. Now, I, I think you have always had a passion for the environment. You're doing something that I wish we look at labels today. I saw I have a lot of salt in some drink I was drinking. But I have no carbon labeling on what I own. And therefore, I'm very cavalier about it. You're trying to do something different. You know, we, we've been working on the environment for, for you know, a decade. In the last four or five years, our, our team, which is very passionate about the environment and trying to do the right thing, uh, led by Prakash Akhanundram, who is our head of operations, started down a path we call pervasive sustainability. And a piece of that was not only are we going to work like crazy to try to reverse the effects of global warming and try to reduce the global warming from here, but we're also going to try to bring it and influence other companies. 
and users. And so we, we decided, you know, about six months, nine months ago, we were going to put, and we're on our path to do it, put the, the amount of carbon that each of our products generates from the time it's made through transportation, through usage, all the way till it's recycled or put to, put away, all that carbon impact is going to go on our labels. And we hope that that will influence other companies in every industry to, to compete. And so like calories on a, on a right. food packet, you're going to have carbon on our package. Well, look, we're going to push that ourselves. I like when I see CEOs doing good things at this stage of my career, I salute them and then challenge others to do what you're doing. Because you're doing it right, Bracken Darrell, President and CEO of Logitech, L-O-G-I. Well done, sir. Thank you very much, Jim, and thanks for influencing other organizations. To do of the same course. Thing. Yes, whether it be because of posting carbon. Look, remember when they first put the calories up on the wall and then you realize you're eating really bad stuff? I think we have to be focused on how much carbon goes into a product. And that's one of the many things, many things that Logitech is focused on, not just making superior products. That is not going to be going away if everybody gets vaccinated. They have money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. What is that about? That's about right. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? You daddy. Time for the lightning round. Chris, we're going to start with Dan Messages. Dan. Hi, Jim. Dan. Oh, am I glad you had your vaccine, because we sure need you. Oh, you're very kind. Sure. Let me get that second half, and then we'll find out I'm really doing. What's happening? Listen, uh, my question to say is, should I buy Fubo? Look, I got to tell you, Fubo versus, and believe me, I know it when I say Fubo. Uh, Fubo versus, say, uh, DraftKings, where I have a program with, Full Market Fantasy, or PennNet. I'll take Pennat or DraftKings. Pennat opening in a Barstool Sportsbook in Michigan today. So a lot more there. Let's go to Dino, Dino in uh, Florida. Dino. Hey, good. Booyah, baby. Listen, Nano Dimensions, 3D printing. They got some groundbreaking uh, technology. What do you think about that company? Well, they don't have any real revenues. Now, I mean, I, people suddenly like uh, 3D systems. I think that that's a little too excitement for 3D. Uh, now there's a short squeeze going on. People join in do, talking about Stratasys. I want to be careful once these moves have been made. They tend to have another leg up, but I don't want to be too aggressive. Let's go to Garrett in New York. Garrett. Hi, Jim. This is Garrett. I'm a first-time caller. This show is awesome. Excellent. Thank you very much. What's going on? I bought shares back when the cannabis stock exploded at $47. Do you think under Biden's presidency... Well- Remember, we, we don't care where stock came from. We care where it's going to. And I have a very good feel that Canopy is the way to play this group. Now, Afri is doing quite well. I am not ignoring that. I am not ignoring that. However, I do want to point out that Canopy has got that big interest from Constellation, and that is going to matter. Craig in Florida. Craig. Hey, Kramer. Thank you for helping to democratize capitalism. Yes, and that My is question. exactly what I want to do. Thank you. What's going on? <laughs> Hey, I wanted to find out about CIIC. I wanted to find out if they're going to be able to capitalize on more than just the arrival deal. Or will the medium-sized electronic uh, vehicles market be enough to propel their stock up? Uh, you know, I've looked at it, and I like it. Uh, I, I like it a lot. What can I say? I, I'm not uh, – uh, am I a believer? I'm a believer that it's a good spec. I think that's the way I have to look at it. Let's go to Kevin in California. Kevin. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Uh, quick shout out to the Yacht Boys and Atlas crew. 
But uh, last, last week, I uh, caught an interview with Michael Klein, CEO of Churchill Capital. And I would welcome Michael Klein on the show tomorrow night. I think he's a hitter. Let's go. Uh-oh. We lost him. Well, look, anything Michael Klein's been involved with, what can I say? I, I have liked it. Again, speculative, though. I really want to distinguish that. Let's go to Steve in Pennsylvania. Steve. Booyah, Jim. Oh, yeah, Steve. Hey, I, I first saw your show in uh, its first season at my friend Mike's house. Uh, his dad had it on, but actually oh. just started investing this past spring. Okay, that's good. How can I help? Yeah. Hey, I bought Quanta Services in the summer, and I took my initial investment off the table good. in the fall for Christmas gifts, but let the rest ride, and it more than doubled. Um, do you think it has more room to ride? It does, because it's money? time has come. I mean, they are doing so much to install a lighting. It used to be just a laying cable company. It's so much more than that. I'm glad you took out the house's money. I've been urging people on the various sites to do that. You're listening. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. You are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Rather than spending all your time on Reddit trying to figure out what stock will be promoted next, hey, strategy, I mean, it's working, as I said, it's Jimmy Chill this weekend. Let me give you a far more productive and rigorous way to research stocks. Read the transcripts of quarterly conference calls. We're getting a lot of them this week as earnings season gets into gear, so let's get practicing. My number one piece of advice to anyone thinking about picking stocks is that these calls are the most important part of your research. They can tell you so much about individual companies in entire sectors, in some cases, the whole economy. Let me give you some examples from three different bank uh, conference calls, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup, all good quarters, that I devoured this weekend. The big money center banks are the bedrock of the economy, so there's a lot of useful stuff here. Although you might know some of these things already, I'm going to go over them for you because I want you to understand how I get my worldview to make decisions. The first takeaway, the American consumer keeps paying down debt at an extraordinary pace. We've never seen anything like this. We call it deleveraging, and it's huge. The American company, American person's balance sheet, I have to tell you, of course, and we'll go into this in a second, is the best in the world uh, right now. But we understand also that there's people being left out, including millions of families have more than enough money to take care of their everyday needs. Normally, they take what's left over and do a lot of discretionary spending. But that's not happening this time because people can't really go out. And more important, they can't travel. Air travel is very expensive. So where's the extra money going, including the stimulus checks? It depends. And this is where I want to be really personal about it. This group of people are the people who are wealthy and doing well. There's another 40% of America that makes $15 an hour or less. They are living paycheck to paycheck. The ones that soon-to-be Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen talked about all day, they're the ones who need our help. I'm not speaking about that. I'm not trying to be cavalier. I'm just saying this is a dominant theme. Above this level, people are paying down lots of debt. And when you see this kind of deleveraging, you have to believe billions of dollars are headed into the stock market. And that's what Bank of America and Goldman Sachs both said they're seeing. Good cue from Bank of America, extraordinary one from Goldman. Second, the banks are spending massive amounts of money on technology. 
Everyone in the industry wants to close branches and lay off people who work in them so that they can save money on real estate and labor costs. At a time of low interest rates where lending has been hampered by a pandemic, you'd expect them to double down on cost cutting. Technology is how they make it happen. Again, the flip side, I hope that people who are bounced out because of tech can find work. Now, um, these companies are selling out, shelling out immense sums for better cybersecurity. Now, that's a dead weight loss, but they have to do it. They have lots of on-premise software, but they also are moving to the cloud, which means they need a cybersecurity company that can do both. That might explain some of the incredible earnings we're seeing in the group, including Palo Alto Networks, which has the ability to be on-prem and also in the cloud, cloud native. Third, despite the weakness in the economy, the banks are doing well enough that they could afford to return a lot more money to shareholders if the federal government would let them. As J.P. Morgan Jamie, uh, Jamie Dimon said, quote, we have so much capital we can't use it, end quote. To me, that means it's too soon to sell the banks, even after this remarkable run. Sooner or later, rough, roughly everyone will be vaccinated and people will start traveling again. But as long as the government keeps dropping the ball in the vaccine, vaccine rollout, the deleveraging will continue. And again, that means more money for the stock market or sitting in banks doing nothing. Frankly, the banks are sitting on so much capital that it's slowing the economy in its own right. Now, there's something the government can do something about instantly. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. <laughs> 